It's Monday, April 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Amid shutdowns during the pandemic, the government stepped in quickly to provide much-needed financial support to Americans and business owners. But maybe they moved too quickly. One of the plans to help was the Paycheck Protection Program, also known as PPP, which we now know has been looted by fraudsters to the tune of billions of dollars. The true amount may not be known, but in this program alone, it could be about $80 billion and much of it is unrecoverable. To scam the government, people inflated the number of employees they had or even created companies out of whole cloth. And there was little verification. Laura Strickler, national investigative reporter at NBC News, joins us for the looting of the PPP. Next, in an update to a story that was first reported on last fall, teen girls are still going to doctor's offices with TikTok-related tics and other disorders as well. While some of these tics might seem like Tourette's, they're actually being diagnosed with functional neurological disorders, which can include verbal tics and abnormal body movements. New research is supporting other theories that some of these girls were also susceptible to other disorders. Once they got treatment for the tics, other disorders began to develop. But doctors still think that social media videos can play a factor. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Watchdogs are back. And we're going to go after the criminals who stole billions of relief money meant for small business and millions of Americans. Joining us now is Laura Strickler, national investigative reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. Well, NBC News has a special investigative series called The Fleecing of America, and it's focusing on the U.S. government spending during the pandemic and how it's led to historic fraud. The story we're going to be talking about right now has to do with PPP, so the Paycheck Protection Program, and really just billions of dollars that people went on the website, signed up for, the banks and the government gave them the money, and they went out and spent it on lavish things, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, lots of Teslas, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. And really the crux behind all of this is in the effort to get money out to people that needed it, very fast, they sacrificed a lot of security that they probably didn't need to, and fraudsters came out of the woodwork for all of this. So, Laura, walk us through what we're seeing with all of it. Well, that's you're exactly right. That's exactly what we found. And, you know, we really decided to bring back the Fleecing of America because of this historic spending, and we knew the historic spending would lead to of historic fraud. And, you know, there's an association of certified fraud examiners. They say that 5% of all money that goes out goes to fraud. So that means when you have a pandemic relief at $5 trillion, we're looking at hundreds of billions of dollars that have gone to fraud. And that's, you know, that's something we wanted to shine a light on. And we're um, going to be speaking to many people in the administration um, and to law enforcement to find out how are they going to track that money down. So no one has been able to tally exactly how much of it's been wasted, but you know, these are the figures that we're confident with, you know, now. And it's only now, two years later, that we're beginning to get a clear picture of how much money was stolen from American taxpayers. And there was a bunch of different programs, too. So obviously, for this, we'll, we'll mostly focus on the PPP program. But, you know, unemployment benefits, everybody was due some money with all of yeah. that stuff. And that had its own set, right? You know, so every program was exploited in a different way. Absolutely. And I think that, 
you know, basically, as soon as the information came out that all of this money was going to be made available, there are some people who hear that. And the minute they hear it, they, you know, jump up and say, well, I'm going to figure out the fastest way to get this free money. And, you know, many people created businesses out of whole cloth and they claim they had employees when they didn't. They used fake identifications. This really did have a cost because the Paycheck Protection Program, it ultimately ran out of money. So that meant that some people out there who really did truly need this money weren't able to get it because it had already been stolen and taken by people who were doing it for fraudulent reasons. Let's talk a little bit about the PPP program and and how it worked and why Mm -hmm. it was so easy for a lot of this stuff. So basically, as I mentioned, the in the um, interest of expediency for all of this, there was guidance that basically said that to get out the money very fast, the lenders really didn't have to hold the the people applying accountable for, you know, not meeting some of the criteria. So this really led to them not checking, not doing some of that due diligence in an application. And this is where a lot of people really uh, struck gold with it. Absolutely. I mean, the first the first uh, gauntlet that, you know, folks had to go through um, to get this money was often an automated system. So it was, you know, you would submit your documentation, you would answer a bunch of questions. And then oftentimes people got loan approvals based on an automated system. I mean, that's remarkable in and of itself. And, you know, certainly one point we should make is that the Biden administration, when, you know, there were subsequent rounds of the PPP program, they added a lot of fraud protections to the program. So the program did evolve and there are different, you know, there were different versions of it. Um, But certainly in the early days, especially those first two weeks when $400 billion went out the door, you know, it was just a matter of speed and they were just trying to get it out as soon as possible um, and so you could pretty much make up a company overnight, um, submit um, what looked like legit paperwork and as far as um, paychecks that you're sending them out um, and get millions of dollars. On the government side, the guidance was, hey, let's make this really fast. Let's just push everybody through on um, the side of the banks and the lenders. It wasn't their money because they were going to get reimbursed by the government. So things were going to be falling through the cracks uh, on that side of it, too. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the ones that's easiest to understand, one of the cases we looked at is, you know, a couple who claimed they had a farm in Miami um, and, and they used their real address. You know, anyone could have Googled the address like we did, you know, and you could look at it on a on street Google street view. You didn't even have to go there and you could see immediately, this is not a farm with 15 employees. It's just a house, you know? So it's, yeah, you know, there's another case we looked at where it was a ministry, a family who claimed they had a ministry, an international ministry with 400 employees and they didn't have any employees and they got $7 million dollars. If we can, let's continue on with some of uh, more of these examples. Uh, You know, a lot of them happened in Florida. You got to speak to the attorney general there about a lot of these cases just because, I mean, I don't know, Florida, (laughs) I guess Florida, right? They they were just trying to really uh, do this. And and some of these guys, you know, young people probably doing some of this stuff before, but getting millions of dollars and then just turning around and spending it on cars and really lavish things. That's one of the other striking things, right, is, okay, you're going on and you're defrauding the government and these programs. Your name is attached to some of the stuff because you need to get the money. You have to 
feel like somebody's going to check up on you, but they didn't care. Right. I mean, they were spending it on all the yeah. stuff they could. Yes. And I will say that the, the lavish spending, we've seen that all over the country. We just ended up speaking to the U.S. attorney in Miami because of some of the more colorful cases down there. But absolutely, this was happening all over the country and buying mansions, et cetera, you know, around the country. And one of the things we did, we did find out is when we spoke to law enforcement, they said that their agents at the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, and that's the inspectors general who are pursuing this fraud, the agents really like these cases. And that's because exactly what you said, there's a paper trail. There's a concrete paper trail between the application that the person made to the federal government, the money they received, the fake documents that they created, and then the, the fact that they had to sign documents claiming that this was all, in fact, true, basically an easy crime to prosecute. And so one of the things we learned is that even though this was two years ago, the federal government has 10 years to pursue this fraud. So we're going to continue to see these cases. That's a super interesting part of it. And for all those people that have committed this fraud, and, and I think some of the officials that you spoke to, acknowledges even, we're not going to catch everybody that committed fraud in this. So for a lot of them, I mean, you've, if you hold out 10 years, you might have gotten away with all of this. And the government has set up a the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee right now. So they're trying to look for all of this stuff. If they find somebody, they'll refer it to federal agents who can go and look on this. But there's only been 178 people that have been convicted so far, and they're expecting a lot more people to find. Yes, absolutely. And... There's no doubt there's thousands more cases that they have to make. And I think that fortunately for the federal government, as I said, these are easy cases to make. They're not really labor intensive because the federal government already has all the documents they need to show that that there's obvious fraud. We don't know exactly how much has been stolen on all this. Uh, some conservative es- estimates say $76 billion. Secret Service says they estimate $100 billion. It could be a lot more, right? Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you were talking about the percentage yeah. <laughs> the percentage of how much it is. I think $800 billion went out just in this program alone. So there's a lot to go through on all this. This is all part of a big investigative series by NBC News, The Fleecing of America Laura Strickler, National Investigative Reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. You know, one thing that might explain why, you know, these ticks are still a thing is that mm-hmm. these these videos on TikTok are still very popular. The, the views of these TikTok videos containing the hashtag Tourette's have risen by almost a billion since I last wrote about this. Joining us now is Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thank you for having me. Well, I wanted to talk about something that uh, we've talked about before on the podcast, these TikTok ticks. Girls are coming down with these TikTok-related ticks and and other disorders. You know, at the time, it was a, a curious thing to doctors because a lot of these girls don't really fit the profile of people coming in with Tourette's-like tics. They found out later that they had been watching a lot of these TikTok accounts that would do Tourette's-themed stuff, and, and you know, kind of went from there. So it seems like the problem is still persisting. Now some time has elapsed. I think it was last fall that you wrote about that, and uh, we're still seeing a, a number of girls suffering from the same thing. So, uh, Julie, help us walk through it. Yeah, you know, I wanted to take a look about six months later, you know, to see um, what's happening, to see if this is kind of um, dwindled down, to see how the girls who are 
coming to doctor's offices several months ago are doing now. And what I found was sort of some good news and some bad news. The good news is some of the earliest patients that have been coming to doctors with these tick behaviors um, have gotten a lot better. Um, Doctors have been prescribing cognitive behavioral therapy, um, in some cases antidepressants if there was an underlying, um, you know, depression or anxiety, um, and sometimes, you know, just staying off TikTok for um, periods of time. Um, So a lot of those early patients did show improvement and either resolved their ticks altogether or they became less frequent and less problematic, less disruptive. Um, However, there still are new patients coming in to doctor's offices with ticks. Um, Several of the doctors I spoke to several months ago, I went back to, and they said they're still seeing a lot of new patients in their practices. And to be clear with all of this, they're not coming in with Tourette's. You know, that's the closest thing that a lot of people know and recognize. So that's why it gets those associations. But they're not coming in with Tourette's. They were actually being diagnosed with functional neurological disorders, which can include some tics and abnormal body movements. Exactly. And it it is an important distinction to make because while many of the videos um, on TikTok have the hashtag Tourette's, um, what these girls are coming down with isn't um, necessarily Tourette's. And in fact, there's some, there's some dispute about whether all of the people in the videos on TikTok actually have Tourette's or something else. But um, it, it can look like Tourette's, so it can be a little confusing. But uh, what the doctors have found is that the girls that they're seeing, um, they don't have an underlying neurological disease. Um, you know, Tourette's is a nervous system disorder. So what the girls have is real, and, but it's not tied to an underlying disease, which means the good news there is that they can unlearn that behavior that they have, um, you know, come to exhibit. And, um, you know, they do have vocal tics and some abnormal bodily movements that they can't control until they learn the techniques um, to bring that under control. Um, And some of the patients that um, these doctors have seen have had their tics resolved, but they've gone on to develop other disorders in some cases eating disorders or tremors or non-epileptic seizures, um, things that suggest to these doctors that um, what was underlying the, you know, their initial tick disorder was actually something that has gone untreated or maybe undiagnosed or misdiagnosed earlier. Um, and some of the new research has actually um, found and kind of confirmed what doctors believe to be the case earlier on in this, which is that, um, you know, a lot of these teens, you know, already had some sort of untreated disorder, and um, that was making them more susceptible to um, developing new disorders. So until that, those underlying issues are resolved, you know, they can't really fully get better. Even right. if the ticks themselves go away, there's, there's maybe something else still going on that needs to be treated. You know, one thing that might explain why, you know, these ticks are still a thing is that right. These, these videos on TikTok are still very popular. The, the views of these TikTok videos containing the hashtag Tourette's have risen by almost a billion since I last wrote about this. Wow. So yeah. Um, yeah, people, Lots people of the videos are still there. They're, yeah. they're being watched. Yeah, and we talked so, about it the last um, time, too. I, I've stumbled upon yeah. these, and they're interesting. They're interesting to watch, and, you know, you do kind of see mm-hmm. the ticks and, and all that. So, um, yeah, definitely. That's also part of it. The, the community out there is big where a lot of people are tuning into all that. And so doctors are seeing an increase in visits for these ticks, like I said, mostly in girls. And at the same time, we've seen 
that boys have fared better, at least according to a CDC report, when it comes to all of this stuff, when it comes to mental health, weekly visits for mental health. And one of the things, interestingly enough, right, you talk about uh, how good or bad video games can be. You know, one some theorize that boys are doing a little bit better because they found an outlet from social isolation when they're playing these online multiplayer games. Yeah, at least they're connecting with people, talking to people. And so maybe they're doing a little bit better because of that. Again, that's just one theory, but that's what they're pointing to, at least. Yeah, I mean, it could be several reasons. And, and one of the reasons the CDC cited for the fact that boys haven't had as many weekly emergency room visits for mental health issues during the pandemic, throughout the pandemic, is because um, certain mental health conditions in boys might go unrecognized or maybe boys are less likely to seek help. Um, there could be numerous things. But, but I have written previously about how during the shutdown phase of the pandemic, uh, a lot of boys, you know, went on video games and they were able to connect with their friends at, or maintain, you know, friendships that way through, you know, speaking to other players and friends while they were enjoying the video games. Um, not to say that girls don't play video games because they do too, but um, boys also spend less time than girls on social media. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of research on that. Right. And social media has been found in many studies to magnify feelings of loneliness and depression. So if, you know, if more girls are on social media and maybe playing fewer video games than boys, you could maybe see how that could lead them to, um, you know, feeling more isolated, especially during that earlier phase of the pandemic. What has TikTok said for their part? Because doctors aren't just saying, hey, TikTok is causing this. There could be a correlation with some of the actions that are going on, but it's not a causational thing, at least uh, now, at least uh, what research shows right now. So what has TikTok said, at least for their part in all this? Yeah, TikTok said that they have, you know, consulted with experts who also, you know, said that um, correlation does not mean causation. Um and that, you know, for many people, TikTok has been a really great way for people to, you know, express themselves, um, find support and kind of quash the stigma of mental health. Um, and, but one of the things TikTok is working on is diversifying the videos its algorithm recommends to viewers, because what has happened, at least in the past, is that, you know, you'd get on TikTok and if you showed interest in a particular type of content, if you started watching, you know, a couple of TikTok um, Tourette's videos for a particular length of time, your For You feed would become filled with those videos. And then you'd just be watching one Tourette or Tick video after another, after another. Uh, and, you know, that's something that my colleagues and I have brought attention to, you know, how that algorithm works. And, and TikTok has said that they're, you know, trying to work on ways to, um, not have the same type of same category of content constantly shown to viewers and kind of mix it up a little so people aren't just seeing, you know, all of one type of thing, especially if it is problematic for particular viewers. Well, uh, it'd be interesting to see as research continues on this to see if those numbers still stay up, those visits from girls coming in with these ticks. So just something to keep monitoring. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.